right, what's up everybody? Welcome to I-Town Church in part five in the conclusion of this series called Just Do It. Want to say hello to our church family meeting in other locations. To those of you who are watching online through the app or itownchurch.com. And then, of course, our church family in correctional facilities all across the state. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Welcome each other today. Great to have you in church this Father's Day weekend. Grab something to take some notes with if you haven't already. We love to take notes as we study God's Word. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. I think it's so important on this journey of faith to make sure that we're jotting those things down to be able to reference from time to time. And iTown Church app is a great place to take notes. You can just click on the notes button. You'll have all the scriptures and the fill in the blank right there. As you get all that ready, I want to say one more time, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. Can we give it up for them one more time? <laughs> Unfortunately, we live in a culture that has diminished the role of men in general and certainly of fathers in homes. And I don't know if you realize this. In fact, I was surprised by it. But a recent study showed that we are the leader in the world in fatherlessness. We have the most fatherless homes of every nation on planet Earth, and there is no doubt the devil is completely behind it, and the family that God created is completely under attack. And I want you to know that statistics prove that it is creating a problem. I don't know if you realize this, but 85% of all children diagnosed with behavioral issues come from a single-parent home where the father is not present. 70% of children that are in drug and alcohol rehab come from a single home with no father present. And that is not an indictment to you single moms. I want you to know we are here to support you as you fight that good fight, and we are gonna love on you if you are a single parent child. I just want you to know these statistics do not define you. Your heavenly father loves you more than you could possibly imagine. You have been made for greatness, and you will not be a statistic in Jesus' name. But on this Father's Day, I'd be remiss if I didn't say there is a difference between men and women. There is a difference in the role that we play, and our children need both a father and a mother in the home. That is the biblical family unit, and it is the best way for us to thrive as a culture and as a spiritual community. And so today, we want to honor those fathers that are engaged in your children's life. Any man can be a dad, but it takes a real man to be a father. And fathers, we love you today, we honor you, and I just wanna encourage you one more time. Father your children, but father all the children in your world because they desperately need a godly male influence in their life, and I think that's something we ought to stand up for, something we ought to keep fighting for. Amen, everybody? All right, our theme verse, as we studied the book of James, James chapter one and verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Just Do It has been the title of the series because too many believers, especially in modern day America, know a lot more than we are living. This is not a modern day problem. James had the same issue in the church that he was pastoring and the Christians he was writing to. Guys, it's not about knowing more, it's about living out what you know. We have to do what it says. And it's such a practical book. We've gone chapter by chapter for the last several weeks. James is a total of five chapters. Hopefully you've been reading along because there's a lot of wisdom in those chapters that we haven't been able to touch. But man, some pretty heavy topics that we've had to navigate over the weeks, talking about pain and trials and how God uses those for us to grow. We talked about discrimination and how it's easy for us sometimes to give preferential treatment to people that kind of grew up in our world, have the same likes and interests, maybe the same background 
And James says, that can't be. There's no room for discrimination or racism in the body of Christ. We have to lead the way in love and in unity. We talked about the tongue and how it is set on fire by hell. It's so hard for us to tame our words, and it's important that we understand the truth of God's word and the words that we speak. We talked about our perspective last weekend. It's so easy for us to be drawn towards selfishness and to think about the pleasures of this life rather than living for eternity and living a God-centered life. And as hard-hitting as every one of those messages are, I would gladly welcome them all and not listen to this weekend's message because it is my least favorite topic on the planet. About halfway through James 5, he gives us this command that honestly, as your pastor, I despise. Be patient, he says. Brothers and sisters, I just want you to know in my vernacular, that's a cuss word. And if I had the authority, I would just cut that word right out of the Bible because I just do not want to be patient. I was going to sing you that song, be patient, be patient, but I don't have the patience for it. It's too slow. I personally believe that reckless driving is 30 and a 45. We're going to arrest you and take you to jail because you are a danger to yourself and others. If 45 is the posted speed limit, that is the minimum we have all agreed to drive, not the maximum. We got places to go and things to do. And as the father of a large family, I despise going through the drive-thru of fast food restaurants because it's always the fry order. I don't know what it is about the fry. Just make more fries already. But they look at you and go, can you please pull forward? <laughs> no! <laughs> Just give me the food. No patience. So then I think, okay, patient. I can be patient for like, what are you talking about? The end of this message, like another 15 minutes, maybe a week or two. No, he says, until the Lord returns. <laughs> so that pretty much means until the rapture comes or you die, is what James is saying. Be patient. <laughs> now, there's a lot of places where Scripture commands us to do things like be strong, be courageous, fear not. And I, man, like, yeah, come on. But be patient. Ugh, it's an awful command. It's terrible. And yet, it's so vital to the faith that we embrace and the life God's called us to live. So I'm gonna spend a few minutes wrestling with this subject in the next several verses. We're gonna work from verse seven to verse 11. And uh, James actually gives us three different lessons from three different people or, or, or positions in the Bible to teach us about patience and what it looks like, how it feels as we walk through it. But the first thing we have to do is biblically define it. So we can't go to the English language because the Bible wasn't written in English, it was translated into English, and so the original word for patience is not necessarily the English definition. There's a Greek definition for it. Jot this down if you're taking notes. The biblical Greek definition of the word patience from our text is to be of a long spirit and to not lose heart. So there's two facets to patience. We have to be of a long spirit and in the waiting, not lose heart. We'll get to both of those as we study God's word. But the first thing I want to do is jump over to Hebrews 6 and show you how central it is to this life of faith. He says, don't be lazy. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now, I love the subject of faith. When I take spiritual gifts tests, faith is always one or two on the list. I love believing God 
for big things. I love praying big prayers. I believe that God can do miracles. I believe that God still heals. In fact, you might be weirded out to know that if I'm ever in the room when church people die, which happens from time to time, I don't make a big scene out of it. I'm not trying to make it about myself or give people false hope. But man, I'm always walking over to the body and grabbing like a toe or a finger, be like, come on, send them back. Trying to raise the dead. Jesus said, you're supposed to do greater things than me, and he raised three dead people to life, and I've got zero. So I feel like it's time to get it together. You know what I'm saying? Freak them out. Lord, send them back. Just make them sit up right now. I mean, I pray all kinds of crazy prayers. Still offer, but I'm still praying. Faith. <laughs> My world breaks down when there's patience involved. Like, I'd pray for every mountain to be thrown into the sea as long as it moves while I'm praying. I don't want to wait five decades for that mountain to move. I just, it takes a lot of faith to have patience in the waiting. But the Bible says it's faith and patience that the promise comes. So it's not enough just to trust God because that's what faith is. Faith is trusting God to the point that you live it out in your daily life. You're willing to live by his principles because you trust him. That's faith. Faith without works is dead. So it's not enough just to do that. Then you have to be willing to wait a really long time. That's patience, and we'll study that today in order to get the promises of God. So if we really want God's promises, we've got to master this whole concept of patience. And I preach on faith about 50 times more than I preach on patience, and yet the Bible says it takes both. So let's go back to our text. Our first lesson comes in verse 7. It says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. We're going to break down this verse for a minute, but jot this down if you're taking notes. The first lesson is from the farmer, and that's that patience is waiting. Patience, by definition, is waiting, which is really frustrating. You can't be patient for 30 seconds. That's not patience. Patience means, by definition, that there is a wait. Remember the first half of our spiritual biblical Greek definition. It's to be of a long spirit. That means I'm willing to wait for a really long time for God's promises to come to pass. This really is the mark of maturity. The, the older you are, the longer you live in this life, you should be able to be incredibly patient. You should develop that patience of understanding. Good things take a while to develop. It's going to take some time to get from where you are to where God has called you to be. It's going to take some time from the time when God gives you the promise to the time the promise comes to pass is to be of a long spirit. So we go back to the text. It says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the rain to come. There's a couple things you need to see. The first one is this word wait, and it means a confident expectation. So it's not that he's just like, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm just sitting around. No, he's got a confident expectation that it is absolutely going to come to pass. In fact, you can jot it down this way. The farmer isn't wondering if, he's just waiting for when. See, the lesson of the farmer is God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. If God promised it to you, he will always honor his word. It's going to happen in your life. It's just a matter of timing, and that's where patience comes. And many of us just give up a little bit too early because we waver in that confidence. We're wondering if it's actually going to work. We actually let that become a part of the conversation. And the Bible says that you will reap a harvest of blessing if you do not give up. Well, what the devil's so good at doing is convincing you that God's not going to honor his word so that you'll give up. 
And it's not that God ever negated his promise, it's that you broke the covenant by quitting. And so the farmer is never gonna give up on the crop because he knows for sure that there is a principle to this world that what you sow, you will also reap. It's just a matter of time. It's coming. And so if we go back to our text, it says that he waits. He's got this confident expectation that the crop is going to come. So now he's patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. I think that's fascinating because this speaks to the fact that there are seasons to life. One of the great lessons of the farmer in patience is that there's some preparation that is required in order to have the confident expectation. The farmer knows for sure that God will honor his word, but he's also done his part. The farmer wasn't asleep when the season of sowing took place. You see, he had his seed, he put it into the ground, he did his job anticipating that God would move, but he teaches us the lesson as believers that we need to learn that not every season is a harvest season. You can't just harvest blessing every season of your life. There are seasons of sacrifice and sowing. There are seasons of watering and purifying and waiting. And then there are seasons of harvest. And so the farmer understands this, but he did the right thing in the right season to be prepared for the rain so that the harvest would come. And this is where I think a lot of us need to understand this life of faith in the fact that we've got to be doing the right thing in the right season. The Bible says, train your child in the way that they should go so when they're old, they will not depart from it. So we can't stand on the second half of that verse until we do the first half of the verse. We can have a confident expectation that our children will serve the Lord if we do the right thing when they're young. But we can't just, I get so tired of hearing families and parents with their children wild, out of control, rebellious, like, no, I'm not gonna do that. No, and I do whatever I want. And having an attitude and the parents go, it'll all work out. It'll be fine. One day they'll come around. No, they must discipline their children. There is a sacrifice that we have to make, a sowing that we put into the lives of. You're gonna listen to my voice because if you don't listen to me, you'll never listen to God. If you don't learn to submit to authority in my house, you'll never submit to authority at the workplace or in spiritual authority. So we got to take them on a journey, and then we can confidently expect God's promises. You can't just one day expect, well, I've been praying for a great marriage, so poof, one day, God's going to fix him. God's going to just somehow, I don't know, it just works. It just, she just worked out. She just became perfect. It was amazing. Praise God for that. No, it takes honest conversations. It takes work. It takes investment. But God will honor his word and things will get better. God will honor your finances and bless you, but you can't be like Cousin Eddie that's just waiting on a management position. <laughs> just waiting on God, bless all. I'm gonna be a world-class doctor one day. Ain't been to school. <laughs> you gotta do what you're supposed to do in the season you're supposed to do it, and then the autumn and spring rains come, and then you can have this confident expectation that it is going to come to pass. Here's how it looks in verse eight. He goes on to say, you too be patient and stand firm. So have the confident expectation, be willing of a long spirit to wait, but then stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now again, there's a lot to verse eight as well. First thing you need to know is standing firm does not mean standing still. Standing firm literally in the Greek means to be resolutely focused in the right direction. So he says, be patient but never lose your focus. Be patient, but keep your eyes on the prize. Understand where it is that you are going. In other words, patience isn't inactivity, it's focusing on the right activity. 
I've got to be patient, but in my patience, I'm just not standing around waiting on God to do something. I'm standing firm, staying focused on the ultimate goal, the outcome of what God has for me to accomplish. And, and the easiest example I can give you for this is the journey that we have taken as a church. And by no means am I saying that we somehow as a church community have arrived, because we got a lot of work to do, and there's so much that God has put in our hearts that we feel called to accomplish but man, I'm so thankful for some of the amazing things that are happening here, and I'd like to brag for a second on our team and on the Lord. I mean, the children's curriculum that our team produces is just absolutely world-class. It's available to the body of Christ for other churches to use, and I'm so thankful for it. Bible-based, line-upon-line, precept-upon-precept training for our children. Our worship team is the best in the country. I think they're writing anointed worship songs from God. I believe that churches around the world will sing the worship that's produced in this place. In fact, I always felt like our church would be a place that generates not just systems and not just experiences, but content that could be transferred to other spiritual communities in the body of Christ and ultimately bless the entire body of Christ. And Kate and I have been so honored to be a part of it. But man, when we started with this dream, we were so far away from that, it was shameful. We were trying to have excellence and set up and tear down in a school, so we were taking down pictures and putting up posters, and we thought it was amazing, but it wasn't that great. There was one weekend with all this in our hearts of how great worship would be, there was one weekend that we had a drummer who came, and he, he told us he could play, and and. He did all right in sound check. It wasn't terrible, but somewhere through the first song, he lost his rhythm, and it was so bad that literally for like two songs, it was just like struggle bus. I mean, people were just, it was chaos. Nobody could even sing. The band couldn't play. They kept starting and stopping song to the point that I had to get up in the middle of worship and just be like, everybody stop. Let's just stop. I'm sorry, I promise you can trust us. We will eventually figure out how to play music. Bro, we love you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. Just sit this one out. We'll just have a little bit of acoustic worship here. Let's try to get our hearts back together. I'm pouring sweat. Everybody's impaired. It was bad. That drummer, poor guy, still talks about it to this day. I don't know he's recovered. It was bad. It's real bad. It's hard to live in the present knowing where God has called you to be and then trying to just be faithful in that moment of setting up and tearing down and using the gifts and the talent and the people God has placed in front of you, but believing that you are made for somehow to do something more excellent or something bigger, something grander that would reach tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. And still we wrestle with that in our hearts of, man, God's done so much, and yet we have this huge dream. There's so much more for us to accomplish. It's standing firm. It's staying focused on where God has called you to be. It's not looking at the present or looking at your circumstances. It's saying, I'm willing to be of a long spirit because I know that God is at work and I'm not gonna stay focused on my present circumstances. I'm gonna stay focused on the prize, on the dream, on the goal that God has placed in my heart because I know that God is going to honor his word. And the other thing that helps us is this last phrase, the Lord's coming is near. We remind ourselves that it's not about possessions, it's not about power, it's not about titles, it's about the life to come. That it's about the souls that need to be saved. So when we're investing into our marriages, it's not just about our marriage, it's about, the Bible says, our marriage is a light 
to a lost world. It's about winning lost people. Our children should honor the Lord in the way they obey their parents, the way that we worship together, and the excellence we embrace as a spiritual community helps be a light to the world that desperately needs the message of the gospel. And that and that alone is the reason why we have breath in our lungs. It's the reason why we meet together. And so it becomes so easy to stay focused because even all along when people are like, you need more K-love and you need the lights to be brighter or the lights to be darker and you need more tattoos or less tattoos and turn the music down, turn the music up. All the opinions that other people had, we just said, no, thank you. We are staying focused on the goal. We know who God's called us to be. We are working towards that end. We are not here for Christians to vote. We're not here to make a bunch of committees because we don't have time to let you make up your mind about everything. In the doctor's office, when they have a patient dying on the operating table, the surgeon isn't like, hey, let's vote on the scrub color. I want to make sure everybody's real comfortable today. Y'all feel okay? No, we're not worried about that right now. We're worried about saving lives. We got to stay focused as a church. This is about heaven and hell. And we have to be patient, but staying focused on where God has called us to be because ultimately this life is not about this life. And you and I are one breath away from meeting our maker face to face. Let's keep our focus on eternity. Here's what happens when we don't. Verse nine, if you don't keep it in context, it almost seems out of place. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged because the judge is standing at the door. Almost seems out of place unless you understand the context of the fact that he is saying, hey, make sure that you stay focused. Stand firm because you know Jesus is coming back. Well, what happens in the midst of a season of patience is that we become impatient. When we become impatient, we lose our focus of eternity and of the things to come. What happens when you take your eyes off of Jesus and your eyes off of who he's called you to be? You put your eyes on people. And I don't know if you've realized this, but we are a few years away from robots walking around like humans. So all of us are human, which means every single person in your life will let you down because they are flawed and here's the problem. James is telling us when you don't focus on the right thing, you'll blame people for everything. Don't grumble and complain against each other. Why? Because that's our tendency. When we get our eyes off eternity and off of Jesus, we start to tell ourselves, well, God is not going to come through for me. The blessings aren't going to happen because I, I, I just can't be of a long spirit anymore. I'm tired of waiting. Maybe that means it's never going to happen. And so then we lose focus of where we're going, and what do we do? We start blaming people. You know why I don't have that blessing? It's because I married the wrong person. It's that jerk I'm married to. It's this woman that I'm married to. That's what Adam did in the garden. This woman you gave me ruined my life. These kids, God, you sent me the wrong kids. These are not the kids I'm supposed to be raising. These are demons, not children. <laughs> it's my kids' fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my high school baseball coach's fault. Every angry softball guy is like, man, I could have gone to the league, but hey, that coach wouldn't put me in. And it's a sad story over and over and over. Look, when you blame everybody else for your problems, you are putting them in control of the destiny of your life, and God has never called them to be your God. They do not have control of the outcome of your life. They don't have control of your joy. They don't have control of your peace. They don't have control of your destiny. They certainly aren't dictating the promises of God in your life. So get your eyes off of them. Everybody will disappoint you. When we're waiting for the promise, we got to stay focused on the goal. That's what Joseph did, man. He's probably the poster child for this because if you haven't read his story in Genesis chapter 50, he's betrayed 
All through uh, mid-40s through 50, chapter 50, you get Joseph's story. Betrayed by his family, sold into slavery, betrayed by Potiphar's wife, lied about, wrongfully imprisoned, betrayed and forgotten by his friends in prison. Joseph's story should have been, I am depressed, I am stressed out, God has abandoned me, all my family has betrayed me, all my friends have walked away from me, and so now I deserve to be angry, I deserve to be bitter, I deserve to have this attitude and this opinion because clearly God didn't come through for me and neither did anybody else, and he would have been dried up in prison as a bitter old man. And likely that's some of our story here today. That's simply because we took our eyes off of God, but Joseph didn't do that. Joseph wasn't focused on the betrayal. Joseph wasn't focused on the pain. Joseph wasn't focused on the people because Joseph knew they didn't have control of his life. God did. And so at every turn, he just embraced whatever season that he was in with a long spirit, knowing that God's promises would come to pass in his life. And guess what happened? All of a sudden, the king has a dream that can't be interpreted, and Joseph goes from prison to the palace, second in command, in charge of the most powerful nation on earth. And he says this to his brothers as he confronts them in Genesis chapter 50, your intention was to harm me. There are, I'm not making light of the fact that there are people in your life that are intentionally hurting you, intentionally betraying you, intentionally talking about you. But God all along knew that this evil would take place and he worked it for the good and used that pain, used that betrayal to bring Joseph to the position where he could be in a place to touch the lives of many people. I just want you to know that even when the devil thinks he's got you down, God is like, thank you very much. I will use that to accelerate them to their destiny, to take them to the place they never could have been. Joseph's whole life was a preparation for that moment in the palace, but he never got focused on people. He never let people be a God to him. He never let them control the outcome of his life. He didn't point the finger at everybody else. He understood, my life is in God's hand, and what the devil intended for harm, God will turn for the good. And you need to know today, if it's not good in your life, that just means your God's not done. He is working behind the scenes to take your mess and turn it into your message. Every setback that we have in this life is a setup for what God wants to do, but we gotta stay focused. We have to stand firm in the waiting. Verse 10, here's our second example. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Here's the prophet's lesson. Patience feels like suffering. Can I get an amen in God's house today? It's not fun to wait. And there's always a gap between what God has spoken over your life and when it comes to pass, and that's never a fun season. It always feels like suffering. So patience, the farmer says, is waiting. You're gonna wait for a long time. Be of a long spirit, staying focused on the right thing, standing firm. This confident expectation that God's promises will come to pass. I'm gonna keep my eyes in the right direction. Well, the prophet's lesson brings us the second definition we talked about of patience, and that's to not lose heart. The way that you don't lose heart is keeping your perspective correct in the midst of all the heartache and in the midst of all the pain. We can't let it get us down because the devil would love to beat you up. And that's what happens is in the midst of the weight, in the midst of the suffering, the devil convinces us God doesn't really love you. God's not really going to come through for you. It's over for you. It's too late. But there's always this suffering that takes place. It's the purification 
that we talked about in week one with the pain and the trials that we go through, God is using that to develop this perseverance on the inside of us. And I just want you to know, if you're not ready to suffer for God, then you're not ready to be used by God. Too many times we pray that God would bring the promise and often it's followed by a season of pain and we think, I've done something wrong. God doesn't love me. No, it's a part of the patience process. He said, consider the prophets. Every time they spoke about revival, every time they decreed the word of the Lord, people weren't like, praise the Lord. Thank you, prophet. That's amazing. Hallelujah. We need to repent. You're right. No, it would be followed by seasons of famine and seasons of pain. Maybe another country would come and conquer the Israelites because God uses that pain to create spiritual momentum. And the prophets usually got blamed for all the chaos that the people's sin were responsible for. There's gonna be pain in the waiting. You and I have to be ready for it. Don't lose your focus. Don't lose your confident expectation. It's going to come to pass in your life. God's word will stand true. We just gotta stay focused. Be of a long spirit. Don't lose heart. And he finishes with this thought in verse 11. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered because you've seen Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about in Job's life. As we close, Job kind of wraps it all up for us and reminds us that patience is the vehicle through which we receive God's blessing. If you're not willing to wait and you're not willing to suffer, you'll never have God's best for your life. And that was Job's story. Everything that he loved and cared about was taken from him in life. He was a devout man, loved the Lord with all of his heart. But at the lowest point of his life, when he had lost his health, lost his family, lost all of his wealth, his wife looked at him and said, curse God and die. And he looked at her and said, is God only God in the good times? Will I only worship him when things are good and blessed and comfortable? No, I will praise him in the pain as well. And that's a lesson that you and I need to learn because it's in the midst of that pain that God is at work. James says, look at how blessed Job was. Well, Job had to fight for it like we do as well. He spent 30-some chapters wrestling with his perspective of God, listening to the ideas of his terrible friends that tried to confuse him and get him all backwards and sideways with God. Finally, at the end of the uh, book, Job repents and says, God, you've always been God, and you're the only one that I look to, and if you never touch me, if you never rescue me, it's fine. I'll serve you with all of my life. And look at what God did in verse 10 of chapter 42. The Lord gave him twice as much as before. The Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. I want you to know your best days are ahead. You might be in a waiting season and life might be pretty painful, but God's promises will come to pass. Don't get your eyes on people. Don't give up on God. You just have to stand firm to the end and you will reap what you have sown. There are seasons to life. Others of you might be here today and you say, you know what, Dave, it's too late for me. I gave up on God a long time ago. That's why I love the way James closes out this thought at the end of verse 11. He says that the Lord is also full of compassion and mercy. What a blessing to know that even when we fail, our God is still faithful, that he's always there for us. And even if we have turned away from him, he has never turned away from us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Patience is not a natural attribute. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to take a minute to pray that God would infuse all of us with supernatural patience. That we would understand patience by definition means we're going to wait. Patience means we're going to suffer. 
But patience is the vehicle through which God is going to bless our lives. It's through faith and patience we inherit what has been promised. God has to do a deep work of patience in us. I want to ask God to give you a fresh dose of patience. A fresh feeling of faith. That you keep your eyes focused on the right thing. Get your eyes off the people around you. Stop pointing your finger and blaming everybody else in your life. Start embracing the season that you're in but never taking eyes off of where God's called you to be. But first, there are those of you who are here, and for one reason or another, you're far from God today. Maybe you felt like he wasn't a loving father. Maybe you're convinced that his promises weren't come to pass in your life, and so you pushed God away, or maybe you've never known him. I want you to know he does have a great plan for your life, and it's never too late to have it every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray with you today at all of our campuses. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I'm not trying to embarrass you or single you out. I just want to connect you with Jesus today to surrender to him, make him Lord. If you would say, Dave, that's me, would you take just a minute to lift your hand up high at all of our campuses as a point of faith to say, I'm going to pray that prayer today. Come on right now, put your hand up high say, that's me. All across the room, I'm proud of you. At all of our campuses, you can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer that you can pray quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. God will hear you. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I repent today for all of my sin. I can't live this life on my own. So I surrender to you. Fill me with your presence and with your power. In Jesus' name I pray. God, I thank you for every person here. For the work of the Holy Spirit to give us patience. We need it so desperately. So, Father, for those that are struggling in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the waiting, I pray that you would refresh their vision for who you've called them to be, that you would fix their focus today. They would have the confident expectation anticipating your return. God, we thank you for all that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives that your promises will come to pass. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer? Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.